0: Welcome to the Why on Earth Community podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with the Executive Director of the Keeling Curve Prize, Jacqueline Francis. Hi, Jacqueline.
1: Hi, Aaron. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, excellent. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and sharing that with our audience. Jacqueline is both the creator and the executive director of the Keeling Curve Prize and a board member of the overarching organization, the Global Warming Mitigation Project. While earning a master's degree in energy policy and climate from Johns Hopkins University, she became concerned with the slow pace climate solutions were being adopted and implemented and the lack of progress towards global carbon emissions reduction. She decided that more needed to be done to accelerate the shift to a climate stable future and using her background connections and expertise started the prize. She has built a network of scientists and experts devoted to action, spoke at the Explorers Club in New York City, became involved with the TED community in Vancouver, and was awarded half a million dollars to international climate solutions. Prior to the Keeling Curve Prize, Jackie ran a pilot program for the Smithsonian Science Education Center about emergent scientific learning alongside world-renowned physicist David Pines. She spent four years as the executive director of the Aspen Science Center, working closely with the Aspen Center for Physics. She coordinated a program for the U.S. Department of Energy under Stephen Chu and has been instrumental in spurring action surrounding any energy solutions for decades. Yeah, wow, Jacqueline, that's, that's quite a lot that you've already accomplished there and uh, clearly have been collaborating with some, some very interesting folks. I want to kick off by just uh, asking uh, a, a very straight up question. What is the Keeling Curve Prize? And uh, for our audience, let's assume most haven't yet uh, heard about Keeling Curve Prize. Tell us what it's all about and uh, how it's helping our situation in the world.
1: Okay, yeah, sure. Erin. there's one thing that I, I want to correct on my bio. It's so fun to actually listen to my bio because I'm like, Oh, yeah, I did do that. Oh, and I did that too. <laughs> but um, we've we've given away $750,000 to date because we just had our award ceremony this summer. And I guess I need to update that. Uh, yes. But um, it's been it's been really exciting to like, um, be able to fund projects and programs around the world that are actively um, addressing emissions and carbon uptake. So The Keeling Curve, for those of you who don't know, is the data set that um, was started in 1958 by uh, Charles David Keeling um, that measures greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, specifically CO2. And it was um, featured in the uh, Inconvenient Truth movie as that graph that just kind of uh, slowly... um, not slowly, actually. It's been going up ever since it's been measured. And um, it kind of has a squiggly squiggliness to it for the, um, the breathing of the earth, the summer and the winter emissions kind of um, fluctuation. Yeah. So we, uh, I um, called Ralph Keeling, who's the son of Charles David Keeling, uh, a few years ago. And I said, hey, I want to start this prize that um, actually acknowledges organizations that are doing something about greenhouse gases. Can we name it after the Keeling curve, the data set? And he and his family said yes. And um, Ralph is now one of our advisory council members. He's actually been on since the beginning. And his family and his, and his mother, who's the wife of Charles David Keeling, is very proud of the prize, which um, is giving out money globally to organizations that are, that are doing, doing the work.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. And and so this is a, there's a competitive process, right? With multiple categories and is it, it's an annual cycle. Is that how that works?
1: Yeah, it is an annual cycle. And uh, the, two, the 2021 um, application process is opening November 1st. So that's coming up and people apply from all over the world. Um, last year we limited the applicants to 300, but this year I think we're going to open it up to more. Um, because we did we did fill our quota. And uh, we have five categories. It's um, capture and utilization, which includes uh, like regenerative agriculture and natural solutions, as well as high-tech solutions, like direct air capture and um, making products out of CO2, uh, like CO2-infused cement and so forth. Um, trans- transport and mobility. And that can be everything from... Um, Avoiding transportation uh, to innovation in transportation and, you know, mobility systems. Um, Social and cultural pathways, and that can be like education, it can be um, journalism, it can be activism, all kinds of things like that. Uh, Energy, and especially um, addressing renewable energy in places where there's energy poverty. And then uh, finance. And finance is an interesting one because um, financial mechanisms are just so important in all aspects of funding climate solutions and they um, traditionally haven't been great and they are getting much better.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, Some of my friends and colleagues in the finance sector, are actually seeing more and more opportunities uh, to invest in disruptive technologies, innovative solutions. And so it's, it's really interesting to see the, the evolution in that arena right now.
1: There is evolution, but it still needs it needs a long way to go, and there needs to be one of the things that I say we do with the Keeling Curve Prize is we activate and accelerate uh, climate action and climate solutions. And in finance, that's one of the areas that really need a lot of activation and elevation.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Well, let me um, let me sort of back up a little bit here and ask you about the origins of all this and and really before the organization got rolling, uh, your own personal uh, journey uh, coming to this kind of work and I know you shared with me before we started recording that you have uh, two daughters uh, in their early 20s, roughly similar ages to my two kids and uh, I'd love to hear you share a bit about that uh, kind of more personal side of the story as it uh, brought you to where you are today.
1: You know, there is something about having kids that makes you think about the future and what we're doing to the planet. Um, so I do appreciate all the people that get involved with climate solutions that maybe don't have kids or aren't, aren't planning on having kids. But I think that for me personally, um, when I had my first child, I attended something when she was just a baby called the state of the world conference. And at this conference, um, People like Bill McKibben were there speaking and uh, um, General Wesley Clark and some others that have been in this space for a long time, um, E.O. Wilson. And I started listening to some of the messages that they were, they were discussing, and what the state of that, what was happening with the state of the world. And it made me very concerned. And I decided, you know, this is something that is such a big problem and it needs a lot of problem solvers. So we need to get out there and get busy and start working on um, climate action, climate solutions and, and becoming a, a problem solver when it came to such a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first sort of, um, putting my toe into the pool of what to do about climate, when my daughter, who was about one year one year old at the time, so through my journey, I um, did work for the Aspen Science Center. I got a lot more involved in just the the scientific aspect of um, of problem solving and the, thinking about things in that kind of the sci- scientific methodology. Um, I also co-founded something called uh, American Renewable Energy Day, which is still um, in, it's still happening. It's kind of a a high level sort of speakers conference. And then um, just a few years ago, I decided to get a master's and I went back to school and got a master's in energy policy and climate. Um, And that made me realize that there were solutions everywhere, all over the world and they just weren't being implemented fast enough. And uh, I talked to a friend of mine who's um, never really uh, put any money into the climate or the science space. And he, I, had, I had worked with him on something called the science of music, which he'd helped fund. And I asked him if he would be interested in starting this kind of a organization with me that was really focused on uh, solving the climate um, problem. And he said no. And so um, I went on doing some other stuff. And then maybe six months later or something, I, I asked him again. I'm just like, this is really serious. Do you, do you think you would support something like this? And he said no again. And uh, then Trump pulled out of the Paris Accord. And he called me up and he said, hey, send me that proposal. That's how the um, global warming mitigation project started.
0: Yeah, that's, that's uh, a really a striking Story and I, I want to mention that um, I've I've actually personally uh, been invited to speak at the uh, R Day conference. I think three different years now. The first being clear back in 2008, if I'm not mistaken. And we've had on the podcast both uh, Chip Cummins and Sally Rani, uh, two of the co-founders who continue to make it an amazing uh, gathering each year. And uh, so just a shout out to those folks who are part of this uh, growing ecosystem of people leading the way to help deal with some of these very uh, challenging uh, situations that we're facing as a species and as a global community. And speaking of, I want to ask you to perhaps recap for some of our audience the the critical importance of the Paris Climate Accord and why as a nation, it's important that we're participants in it. And from my perspective, what seems to be lost on a lot of Americans in particular, not so much folks I've talked with from other countries, but here in America, uh, folks tend not to really understand and appreciate that the global community comes together to work on some of these most challenging issues facing our entire species worldwide and comes up with steps that can be taken to help address uh, those issues Uh, and that's the context in which the paris climate accord uh, was created in i think 2015 is that the year
1: Yes, I believe so.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, can you, from your perspective, tell us a little more about it? What is it and and why is it important for our country to be engaged in that?
1: Well, there was, um, you know, several kind of precursors to the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, The um, talks in Kyoto and the Kyoto Protocol and then the the Copenhagen um, talks. Uh, And Paris was so... It was so symbolic because um, most of the countries in the world really did uh, work hard to come together on something that was just, it was monumental to get all these all these com- countries from all over the world to come to an agreement on some um, s- a framework for reporting and um, addressing their own carbon footprint. And... Uh, the The fact that the world came together for something that was just really an incredibly monumental um, effort, uh, you know, and, and the people that put it together, it, it was so incredibly like big of a deal. A lot of people don't realize that um, the, the symbolism of the the Paris Climate Accord is so important because it um, it showed who the leaders are. In this incredibly important uh, global effort to have a future on this planet, and for the United States to pull out and not be a part of the leadership, um, it 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 says a lot about who we are. And we really want to be leaders in the world. We don't want to be following, you know, the other the Chinese example, or you know the. Um, the EU, we want to be a part of this, this incredibly important effort. And we should be.
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's a really important point. And I think, you know, especially among the folks in our uh, national culture, who tend in the direction of that sort of exceptionalist attitude that the United States is is a really special place. And there are reasons to, I think, support that point of view, especially given that we're in a, a nation of uh immigrants largely of course not uh, including our Native American uh, colleagues, but uh, many of us have come from other parts of the world and that does make the United States an exceptional country. but strangely uh, to pull out of this kind of mechanism among the global community really diminishes our stature and ability to uh, work in our own uh, interests in the context of the global community and so it's a real almost shooting ourselves in the foot from a policy standpoint.
1: Yeah. And we've, we've come to this place in our country where everything feels like it's supposed to be so competitive and that's really not how, you know, advancements make, especially like in my field in science, Um, science is very collaborative. And so the idea of, you know, I mean, competition is good when it encourages sort of um, like kind of a, a, Healthy competition where everybody's sort of raising all boats, and that's what we need. We don't need this like cut each other down kind of competitiveness, especially when we're looking at something that, you know, the, the outcome, I mean, it's like COVID. If we don't address it, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So we have to address it to make it better as a, as a world, as a, as a global effort.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. So I'm, I'm uh, really excited to share with our audience, this very special video that you guys have created, uh, called vote climate. And, um, you know, interestingly, I watched it a couple of times in the last few days and ended up watching it last night with my son, my 18 year old son. And I asked him, is this video a little too over the top? Is it a little too emotional? And he said, no dad, it's perfect. And we need to make sure that a lot of people are seeing this video. And you know, Jackie, it's it's one of the reasons we're happy to get this uh, episode out in an expedited manner uh, to our network. And I think we'll include the video at the end of this episode so that um, everybody can watch and listen to it that way. But uh, please, I, I want you to I want you to tell us what what's in this video. Why is it important? And why are you, uh, with your organization, putting so much energy and resource into sharing this as broadly as possible?
1: Well, as you can maybe tell, I'm a female and I'm a mom. <laughs> and the video is actually um, really speaking to, to moms. And the reason it was so kind of personal and important to me is because I feel like i um, mothers are the nurturers of the earth. And they tend to think about their children in a lot of their decision-making. And this election is such an important election when it comes to climate decision-making. And um, the reason is, is because every day we don't put climate into our decision-making is another day that more greenhouse gas end up in our atmosphere. And we have to slow that down. We have to turn the corner on this. We have to change this. Because if we get to a place where we haven't yet, it's going to be too late. And um, we can't take at the size and scale greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere and put them anywhere. That's just not possible. So it's something that's more important than really anything, any other any other issue out there, because any other out issue out there is gonna be worse if we don't address the climate situation. So anyway, in my own decision making, I wanted to speak to other moms like me, and dads, and parents, you know, and, and really anybody to get climate in the, in the forefront of their mind when they're voting, um, and in their local elections, their state elections, their county initiatives, and you know, the national election as well. Think about climate and think about it in a lot of ways. There are ways where um, you can actually think about climate in a really good way because climate can spur innovation. And there are jobs of the future that are, you know, going to be fantastic. They're going to be clean of like um, the, the pollu- pollution of fossil fuels. And that's a really good thing. And that should be something that appeals to people who are very pro-business. Yeah. Um, so there are just so many reasons why we should consider climate in our um, decision-making process when we go to the ballot box
0: yeah absolutely it's beautiful so yeah just we'll remind it once again that this uh, beautiful vote climate video will appear at the end of our podcast episode and we will also be sharing it through other uh social media and uh, uh communication channels coming from the why on earth community um and it's so interesting when i put together the book, Why on Earth, Uh, the uh, caption on the front cover says, or the original version, we've changed it a little since, said something like written for parents, grandparents, and educators, which was kind of this catch-all for everybody in a way. Uh, However, as I was writing it, the audience I had in mind uh, were my children. And, you know, I'm so struck, Jackie, that Uh, You're doing all of this amazing work with innovators and organizational leaders and scientists uh, worldwide. While meanwhile, you're also developing and deploying some exciting uh, frameworks and mechanisms for the youth to become involved and engaged in all of this. And of course, the, the job and career pathway is this very interesting kind of link for our young adults as they're heading into the decades of adulthood and the professional career paths. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear you share with us a bit about your Constellations program and uh, how we can get involved uh, with that and with what you're doing there.
1: So our I mentioned before that we have about 300 applicants last year that came through the door. And then in the last couple of years, some of them have been repeats and, and all that. So we sent out information to all of our, all the people that have applied for the Keeling Curve Prize and said, we're going to develop something called the troposphere which is a network of people who are working around the world on programs and projects um, and have applied to the prize and so we got i don't know even a, a bunch of our past applicants applied to be in the troposphere and we thought you know what we want to do with the troposphere is we want to find ways to um to continually support them beyond giving them the keeling curve prize because we we only give 10 prizes out annually, so we wanted to support more people doing more things, and um, through that program, we started something called the Constellations, which is an internship, and we connect young people who are trying to get into climate jobs, um, whether they're, you know, in in their universities, uh, summer in grad grad school programs. Um, we've had one or two that actually been in high school still, and we connect them with a virtual internship with one of our, um, former applicants that are in the troposphere. And we started this this spring because of, of the COVID situation and people were like, they were stuck they didn't have these their the internship programs that they were currently signed up for they w- they were like what am i going to do with my summer and we had over 50 um young people that were connected to the to the troposphere partners doing things in you know engineering data collection um blogging um all kinds of all kinds of career choices across the board and uh it turned out to be something that was not only fantastic for these students who were looking to actually do something with their time and be productive and creative and get into really great career opportunities, but it also turned out to be really great for the um the the people who hired these interns. You know, it, it increased their momentum and it was it was absolutely a win-win. And, you know, we went kind of above and beyond the idea of the youth being activists we actually put the youth into you know job opportunities Mm -hmm. and saw them just flourish so it was it was absolutely just like a huge success so we we continue the program this fall and we now have um our fall class of interns and they're all like going to school full-time or whatever but still uh managing to be like virtually Working with these organizations and we hope to continue to grow this program so that young people can, you know, not only get their foot in the door to new careers, but also help the people who have applied for our prize.
0: That's wonderful. And if folks want to get more information about this program, what's the best place for them to go in terms of a website or URL.
1: The best place is our website, which is www.globalwarmingmitigationproject.org, which is pretty long. You can also go to the K and it'll um, send you to the Global Warming Mitigation Project website.
0: Okay, great, and we'll we'll have those links in the show notes um, as well, and we will likewise also have the uh, Keeling Curve Prize social media links for Facebook, Twitter. LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram, um, so folks can connect uh, that way as well. I want to remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Jacqueline Francis, the Executive Director of the Keeling Curve Prize, and want to give a big shout out to our sponsors who make this episode and our series possible, uh, and that includes Earth Coast Productions. The Lidge Family Foundation, Alpine Botanicals, Purium, Earth Hero, Vera Herbals, Growing Spaces, Soilworks, Earth Water Press, 1% for the Planet, Dr. Bronner's, and Waylay Waters. And of course, a huge thanks to all of our ambassadors and others in the Earth community who have joined our monthly giving program. And if you'd like, you can join at any level. Uh, Just go to whyonearth.org and go to the donate section. And if you join at certain levels, you'll even get uh, monthly shipments of our Waylay Waters uh, hemp aromatherapy-infused soaking salts, which is great for health and wellness and de-stressing in these uh, extraordinary times that we're experiencing. All of of that, thanks and and compliments of uh, Waylay Waters. And um, Jacqueline, I want to be sure to Reiterate globalwarmingmitigationproject.org or kcurveprize.org, are there any other resources in addition to your uh, social media, which we'll have listed, uh, that, that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Um, no, but I think that if people do want to learn a lot more about who we are and what we're doing on our website, we have links to all our advisory council members and where they come from and what they're doing, as well as all our judges and our navigation council. We have an amazing group of really, um, connected, intelligent, uh, people who are very involved in, you know, making sure that what we're doing is, really legitimate
0: yeah yeah that's wonderful yeah i mean i've looked at the uh, framework uh, for applicants and it seems that there's a very robust and rigorous process and i'm wondering it probably gives you guys a purview into some of the uh, most promising innovations that are getting underway and i'm I'm wondering if there are uh, one or two you might want to share with us that you're able to share that that you think are really exciting in terms of helping to, uh, stabilize atmospheric carbon levels, uh, recarbonize or regenerate soil or any of the other technologies and, uh, innovations that you're seeing out there.
1: You know, I, I, this is, that's great. I have this little like booklet. This is, um, my, I, I read all the applicants and, um, the applications. And, you know, I read them and I make little notes and I put little stars by them. And I often like email them back to, um, and say, Oh, you should apply for our constellations program and get an intern, or, you know, maybe you should connect with this person or that person. So I, I spend a lot of time, you know, really following up, really like being the person that I feel like I need to be with encouraging, um, organizations around the world to keep up the hard work. And, you know, sometimes we get some stuff that's, you know, Pretty wacky, just like a you know, I'm a science f- fiction writer and I write science fiction about solutions. And I'm like, well, that's great, but I'm not sure that that's, <laughs> that's going to be like what we're going to award for. Um, and then there's things like um, direct air capture technology is getting better and better and better. Battery technology, we get a, we get a lot of really interesting um, applications on the innovations going on in battery technology. Um, because there are just different kind of chemical ways of, of creating energy storage. Um, we get some about, um, like there's one that that we got about ocean circulation and bringing up like colder, colder, deeper ocean waters in the ocean to create more plankton, to create more, um, carbon absorption, uh, in the ocean, which was an interesting, um, high tech kind of idea. Um. And then, you know, some stuff uh, we, we often really pay attention to can it be scaled up? Um, what kind of like efficacy and scalability do um these projects have? Uh we had a finalist last year that was getting ready to launch a million um electric tuk Tuk's in I believe it was in Kenya, in Africa or maybe Nairobi. Um and you know, they made the finalist list because it was a big impact. It's not something that's just like too unusual. Um, the year before, we actually had a winner that was doing electric vehicles in India, in um, electric tuk-tuks. So uh, yeah, I mean, I literally could talk all day about the applicants I read. Um, some of them are, are just so heartwarming, like an organization in the Appalachians that is using um, the, the, mine tailings that are in the river for like making um, oxidizing paint so that they can use that in um, sort of a carbon utilization way rather than having it just be like pollution in the rivers. Um, So, you know, like I said, I could talk all day about some of the things I read. One of them that I'm just gonna mention is a group that's using direct air captured CO2 to create vodka. Um, and then <laughs> and then they're trying to raise enough money, by some air vodka, to create biofuels for airplanes.
0: Oh, interesting. Right. Because we're talking about alcohol molecules, basically, right? That, that have mm-hmm. carbon in them. So those are being synthesized using carbon out of the atmosphere? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. That is exciting. Oh, and does, is that a catalytic process? I'm, I'm sorry, I have to ask, getting a little technical here, but... <laughs>
1: I, you know, I believe it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. I used to uh, work uh, and had a company in the biofuel space and it's been really interesting to watch some of the uh, uh, developments and evolution in in that arena and certainly uh, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere to uh, create cycles for things like aviation fuel are, uh, are big opportunities and needs, right? Because we know in transportation there's a whole lot we can do on the ground with wheels uh electrifying but when it comes to aviation fuel it looks like liquid fuels because the energy gen- density of them um are going are to be here for a while and so how do we make those you know carbon neutral or even carbon negative is is one of the big questions it's cool to hear what they're doing and <laughs> making vodka along the way to boot
1: one of our first year uh, winners was Lanza Tech, and they are um, developing production facilities for um, jet fuel that's, um, you know, net zero as, as much as possible, I believe. And uh, they're, they're an amazing organization that's, that's been doing some really cool work in that space.
0: Oh, that's great. What, what are they called? I'll just I'll put them in our uh, notes for shouting out.
1: It's Lanza Tech.
0: Lanza. Cool. That's great. Thanks, Jackie. Yeah. Okay. That's so exciting. I mean, it must keep you in a pretty hopeful, optimistic frame of mind, uh, working with all of these innovators and uh, organizations, companies innovating on the technological front, as well as working with so many youth who are passionate and mobilizing around these issues.
1: Yeah, I consider myself incredibly lucky because I do get to like work towards you know something that you, you know, causes despair for a lot of people. And, you know, when you are kind of wallowing in just like sadness of, Oh my God, what are we going to do about this, pro- this problem? I'm, I'm in this solutions phase and, you know, we see, we see the possibilities of fixing it, you know? And I, I think that really, to me, the only reason we're not fixing it is because we don't have enough, um, Political will via the, you know, <laughs> activism and the um, voting and, and that kind of stuff, and then the financial will. And once we get those two things in place, I see, you know, so many solutions. And one of the things that I um, really tell people is that it, it's silly to say that we can't fix everything right now because there are so many things that we can fix so we we need to get started you know let's get going and let's like um really um put put financial um resources and um human capital towards what we do know will work you know like regenerative agriculture like um biofuels like uh electrifying everything we possibly can we already know we have the solutions for those things and then the other stuff that's a little more difficult the you know industrial processes that'll come along
0: yeah, yeah absolutely well that's that's such a, a wonderful note to uh sort of wrap up on jackie and i i want to once again remind the audience to uh check out the 30 second vote climate video at the end of this podcast episode and um, get connected with global warming and, uh, globalwarmingmitigationproject.org um, to see all of the great work being done with the Keeling Curve Prize. And before we sign off today, Jackie, is there anything else you'd like to say uh, or share with our audience?
1: You know, if you wanna see this AG get shown in, in more places, let us know, let us know if you have a network there, let us know if you have somebody that you want to like, help us put it on TV or get it funded. And if you want to apply for the killing curve prize, um, you know, that's, that's coming up November 1st. So that, and um, we do have a, a few analyst positions open right now. So if you're an expert in any of these five categories and you want to work with us, let us know.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thanks Jackie. It's wonderful chatting with you and uh, audience. Hope you enjoy the video that you're about to experience. And uh, Jackie, great uh, working with you and collaborating with you. Thanks so much. Mom.
2: Hey, mom. Mama, I had another nightmare about all the fires and hurricanes. Why are there so many?
0: Mom, I know you want grandkids, but I just
2: don't think I want to bring kids into this world. Why can't leaders see this? Mommy. You have the power to protect my future. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code whyonearth. All one word with a why.